Good morning, Doxa. Guys, as always, it's, it's great to, to see you. If you're new or visiting, welcome. My name is Rob. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. It's great to have you here with us. Today, we've got an exciting day. We're, we're getting into Acts chapter 9. It's, a, it's this great story that we're going to get into, but for me, it's a great day too because, guys, you know what I get to do after service today? A monster truck rally. Has anybody, so that was Titus's big Christmas present. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, you're too pretty dressed like this to go to a monster. Don't worry. I got boots. I got a American flag cut off and a trucker hat in the car and I'm going to be great. Okay. But uh, guys, if you got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Go to Acts chapter nine. All right. If you, if you don't have a Bible and you're new, we would love to give you one. What do we do as we gather is we, we gather around the Bible. And so on the welcome table on your way out, you can grab uh, a Bible as our gift uh, to you. And so we're in Acts chapter nine. We're going to continue our study of the book of Acts guys. And, and as we get to the Bible, let me just say this as it relates to the Bible. If you're, if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the Bible, to, to church guys, the, the center of the whole Bible is really a person. And his name is Jesus. And when we look at like the, the message of the Bible, the, the overarching message can be summed up as this. I want to encourage you just to write this down. But the message is this. It's grace through Jesus. This is it. And this is so significant for us. It's so important for us to, to know. Some of you are learning this for the first time. Others of you, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And it, it can be tempting to, to let other things get in the way and become the main message of the Bible. This is the main message of the Bible that we need to be reminded of. It's grace through Jesus. Every day that we walk with him, every day that we navigate through life, we need to remember this. Grace through Jesus. And as we come to the Bible, guys, you know, the Bible includes many different words, many different thoughts that, that really help to, to orient our lives and our, our minds around the truth and the, the reality of God. But the Bible also includes like stories, stories of some of the most amazing and fascinating and world-changing people that have ever lived throughout the history of the world. And today, guys, we, we get to meet and get to know one of these guys, all right? And his name is Saul. All right, you, you may be more familiar with him as the Apostle Paul, but today what we're going to do is we're going to read through this man Saul's testimony. And I need to explain this to you, okay? You know, one of my favorite things to do, I, I love to read, I love to study history, and so I love to read biographies, right? Anybody here like to read biographies? Okay, so the one person in the back, we can talk afterwards, okay? <laughs> but, uh, you know, a biography is, is really just, it's, it's about me. It's, a, it's about what I have done. It's about what I've accomplished. It's about, you know, the success that I've had, the failures that I've had, the, the achievements. It, it's really just a, a me-centered thing. This is a biography. Guys, the, the Bible uses the language of testimony. That a testimony is, is not so much about me, but it's about Jesus, a testimony is not the things that I have done, but a testimony is the things of, that Jesus has done in my life to make me who I am today. This is a testimony, guys. Testimonies are all about grace. And so today, as we work through the Apostle Paul's testimony, we're going to come face to face with the concept of the grace of God. And this is such an important word. Such an important word in our lives that we really need to know. And, and the way that I see it, the reality is that many people, especially Christians, we, we have the word grace in our vocabulary. But oftentimes we, we have a, a really malnourished, kind of diluted understanding of the grace of God. You know, if I asked you, like, how would you define grace? Like, what would you say? And I just want to start off by giving you just kind of a, a brief definition of it, okay? So God's grace is just his unmerited favor. 
It's his undeserving love. It's his crazy affection for you. That, that grace is God's love in action. That the, the love that God has for you is not just something that he feels, but it's something that he does. And when he acts on his love, guys, this is called grace. And this word grace is used throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, we see it used around 400 times. You get into the New Testament, we see it's right around 200 times. It's like this huge word. It's so significant to the message of the entire Bible. So significant is it that really kind of grace really is the bookends of this book. That the Bible starts and ends with grace. Let me, let me show you what I mean, guys. If you, if you opened up to, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You see that the Bible starts off, the very first chapter, the very first book, the very first verse says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The Bible starts off by introducing us to the ultimate source of life and grace. And then if you fast forward to the, the very last verse of the Bible, Revelation 22, 21, it ends by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all, amen. So in the beginning, God. Now we come to the Bible and we ask questions. Who is that God? Guys, his name is Jesus. And he's revealed himself in truth and grace. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, it says it like this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Hear this, full of grace and truth. And then the final word of the Bible is that God is a God of grace and that grace comes through Jesus. Guys, the Bible is all about grace, which makes it all about Jesus. Guys, every book, every chapter, every page of the Bible points us to Jesus. It's grace through Jesus. And I say all that to say this, guys, as we open the Bible together today, we're just gonna get a beautiful, powerful picture of the grace of God as we look at the testimony of this guy named Saul. All right, so this is what we're gonna see today, the amazing grace of God, which I want you to know from the get-go, hear this. This is good news for every single one of us today. Guys, grace is the best news that any of us could ever hear. All right, it, it, it changes everything. And so here's what I'm gonna do to help us to kind of grasp this and understand it and see it. I'm just gonna walk you through this text, and then I'm gonna explain Paul's testimony to you, and then we're gonna highlight, I'm just gonna highlight two specific things as it relates to the amazing grace of God, okay? So Acts chapter nine, verse one is where we're gonna start. You guys ready? Yeah. Come on, guys. I'm excited. I'm excited about this. I got the monster truck thing. We're talking about Jesus. It's gonna be good, okay? But here we go. Verse one. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so I'll stop here and, and say this, guys. We, we need to understand this, this man Saul a little bit, okay? If you remember, the, the first time that we met Saul was back in Acts chapter 7 as he interacts with a man named Stephen. All right, and if you remember this from a few weeks ago, Saul is, a, is opposing Stephen, who was an early church leader. And, and we know that, that Stephen is just a, a godly man. He loves Jesus. Acts chapter six, verse three says that Stephen is a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's just a, a godly, humble, gracious dude, filled with the love of God, filled with the grace of God. And Saul, who's a religious leader among the Jews who opposed Jesus, he goes after Stephen and he basically brings like a, a mob of violence against him, which ultimately resulted in his execution. 
And then after this murder of Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr, Saul basically became the ringleader of the persecution that the early church would experience. He's, he's leading the charge of this, this persecution against the church. In Acts 26, when Paul was before the leader Agrippa, this is what he said. This is how he described and articulated the, the fierceness of how he led an assault on Christians. I think it's going to come up here on the screen, but he says this. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury, raging fury, you know, in Acts 8, I believe, it talks about how, how Paul ravaged the church. This is a guy who's kind of like just bloodthirsty going after him. Raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And here in Acts 9, guys, Saul is, is still going after Christians. And he's promising that Stephen was the first of what would become many martyrs, many people that'd be killed for their faith in Jesus. If you look back, he, he goes to the high priest and he basically asks for approval to become like a bounty hunter right? and to go hunt these people down that were called the people of the way. Right? This is just what Christians were called in these days. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But let's keep going. Verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Now, is a, a little bit more about the man Saul here, okay? It's significant to know that, that Saul was right around the same age as Jesus. He was living in the same time, so he would have been very familiar with Jesus' teachings. He would have been very familiar with the beliefs of Christians at these times, as people of the way. But while he knew about it, and he knew what they believed, he just thought it was just utterly wrong. And, and not just wrong, but he really thought it was deceptive. Because we've got to understand that Paul, or Saul, was, was a Jew. He was a monotheistic Jew, and so we, when he heard that Jesus was claiming to be God, and when he was hearing that the, his followers were saying that Jesus is God, he regarded that as polytheism. And as someone who had, was a devout Jew who had quoted the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, every single day he knew that the, God, the Lord God is one. And so he viewed Jesus as a, as a lunatic, as, as a complete blasphemer and a liar. And so Saul is thinking these people are claiming there's more than one God. This is not what I know to be true. This is antithetical to, to Judaism. And so he needed to get rid of it because he thought that Jesus and his followers were really just deceiving people and bringing them away from the truth of God. And Saul, he, he knew that Christians, he knew that Christians hung their belief on the resurrection of Jesus. But let's hear this. He just didn't believe it because he knew that Jesus was crucified and killed. Right, that he was sure that the man, Jesus, who claimed to be God, was dead. But you look back to our text, right? And here, out of nowhere, guys, the resurrected Jesus appears to Saul. And the man that Saul thought was a dead lunatic now shows up, and he's alive. And he presents himself to be God. And you just have to understand how big of a moment this is for Saul, Right? I mean, this is a moment that literally changed. Without this moment, we don't sit here. 
This is a moment that changed everything throughout the history of the world. I mean, Saul was, was so sure of himself. He, he, he was so sure that he knew the truth of the world that he lived in. He believed that Christians were wrong and he's traveling. As he's traveling to persecute them, this Jesus that they worship shows up. Jesus is alive. Guys, and I need to tell you this today. This is what Christianity hangs on. The resurrection of Jesus. Guys, today, you need to know and you need to be reminded of Jesus is alive. He's alive and he's reigning as king. God, Christ, savior. He is alive. And guys, this is the only reason that there is any amount of good news in our world today. This is the only reason that this makes sense that we're here. This is the only reason that there's any amount of hope and joy in your life. Paul later on articulates it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, then you, Christian, me, this whole thing is foolish. This doesn't make any sense, guys. This is a waste of time, a waste of money, a waste of resources, and we need to get out. But Paul says, if Jesus has raised from the dead, then everything changes. Because the resurrection, you just need to know this, the resurrection is what everything comes back to. It's the fundamental issue. Because right? the reality, guys, is I, I've said this before, I don't follow Jesus because of what he said. There's been a lot of people throughout the history of the world that have said a lot of great things. I followed Jesus because of what he did, that he said that he would be killed and three days later would rise from death. And because of what he did, it validates everything he said, that Jesus is alive and he presented himself to be God. And so this bright light appears to Saul, right? And God spoke and God was Jesus. And those who were traveling with Saul, if you look back, they heard this voice, but they didn't see anything, okay? Saul, on the other hand, he actually saw Jesus. He saw Jesus in glorious brilliance. As we're gonna see throughout the book of Acts, he's gonna repeatedly hit on this, that he saw Jesus. And I want you to, I just wanna pause and just point out here. Ironically, guys, the last person up until this point, do you know who it was that saw Jesus last? Stephen. Think about this. The man who oversaw the murder of Stephen is now the next to see Jesus. Guys, this is just a beautiful picture of the grace of God. A beautiful picture of the grace of God. Now here's what happens next, verse eight. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing, so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So there's, this, there's a lot of like mystery here. There's a lot of like supernatural stuff going on. Saul is literally like blinded by a light. And for three days, he's, he's without sight. And here's what's, what's interesting, guys. For Saul, up until this moment, he would have considered himself as the one who was walking in the light. Like Saul, up until this point, he would have said that, I'm the one that I, I see reality. Like I know what is actually true in our world today. But the truth of the matter is that Saul was actually in darkness because he didn't understand the truths of God and he didn't understand who Jesus was. And Jesus says in the gospel of John chapter eight that he is the light of the world. And here in this moment, Jesus shows up as light 
And as he does this, he reveals to Saul, he basically just is saying, hey, you're actually walking in darkness and I'm the light of the world. And guys, what God is doing is this, is that God is mirroring Saul's physical condition with his spiritual condition. That Saul, before this encounter, physically had sight, but he was spiritually blind. So guys, this is the issue for Saul, that he's not seeing Jesus as the light of the world and the way of salvation. Paul is spiritually blind. And God allows him to experience physical blindness to expose his spiritual condition, that he couldn't see Jesus, he didn't see Jesus. Some of us in this room, some of you in this room, this is your, st- your story right now. You're not quite seeing Jesus, but there's beauty in this, there's, there's grace in this. This blindness overtakes him, the guys take him by the hand and look at verse 10, they lead him down the road. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord, And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, because I want you to see this in the midst of of this miraculous moment, because just if, if you remember back to Acts chapter eight that we looked at last week, just as God showed the Ethiopian eunuch the grace and the love of Jesus by sending a man named Philip, here God sends a man named Ananias to help Saul in this same way. And let me just speak to you Christians here. Christian, I hope you're beginning to realize an important theological truth. That God uses people to save people. I mean, we're seeing he's sending Philip to this Ethiopian eunuch with the message of the gospel. He's sending Ananias, right? To go and talk to, to Saul with the message of the gospel. God uses people to save people. And God saved you to be with him but not just you with him, but you with others. Guys, this is how the gospel spreads. This is how the good news of Jesus breaks out of the walls of the church, which is the intention of the mission of God. It's not just to exist in here, but it's to go out into the world. It's to go out into the brokenness. It's to go out into the places that you would never go with the love of God, with the message of Jesus on your tongue to bring hope to a dying world. This is the message of Jesus. And I hope, Doxa, I hope you're getting this. This is God's intention for your life. But the last thing that Saul ever intended to do, guys, as he set off for Damascus was to become a Christian. But you'll notice this is where he finds himself. He's just just captured by grace. And in Philippians chapter three, verse 12, later on when Paul is, is reflecting back on his testimony, he talks about this moment and he says that in this moment he was just grasped by Jesus. 
He was just gripped by grace. He couldn't get away. And I want you to look back to verse 17, guys. I love this. I love this. The first words that Saul heard from a Christian after his conversion were this. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Think about this. Because the, the pastor, theologian, John Stott, said this must have been music to his ears. The arch enemy of the church was welcomed in as a brother. The dreadful fanatic was received as a family member. Because it's the amazing grace of God. Only God loves in this way. It's grace. I want you to know, regardless of where you're at today, God loves you and he welcomes you into his family. Someone in here needs to know that there is room for you in Jesus's family. Jesus died to open that door for you that you could cross through that door for eternity, no matter what. Let's keep going. Verse 18, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and says, this is not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name. And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Let me explain this by, by saying it like this, okay? Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, that, that when we become a Christian, we're born again. All right? So in many ways, like when you become a Christian, like you, you kind of get like a, a start over in, in some ways. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says that when we come to Jesus, that we're, we become a new creation. And sometimes in the Bible, if you've read the Bible, this change that happens, when someone becomes a new creation, sometimes this change is, is so radical that people are actually given a new name. And so Abram becomes Abraham. Cephas becomes Peter. Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul the apostle. And as this happens, guys, Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately starts living for, like, and with Jesus. And it's kind of like this, okay, one of my heroes in the faith is a man named John or James Montgomery Boyce. Theologian, pastor, just a godly dude. He explains it like this, okay? That the new birth through faith in Jesus is a lot like physical birth. And physical birth is, is used in the Bible as an illustration of, of what new birth through faith looks like. And so if we consider physical birth, right? New, new life is created in the womb of the mother. And there's the combination of the, the sperm and the egg. And until that combination and that that connection happens. There, there's no life. But once this union takes place, life begins. And life begins to grow. And it grows for nine months, right? And then the moment of birth happens. The baby is born. The baby comes out and cries and everyone's happy because when the baby cries, it means everything's good and the baby's healthy, right? Because I want you to know the same is true spiritually. In the Bible, as the, the sperm in, in physical birth is compared to scripture, it's the word of God. In 1 Peter 1.23, it says this, since you have been born again, 
not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And so when the word of God, the gospel of grace of Jesus meets the ovum of saving faith in the heart of someone who God is saving by his grace, new life comes into being. And it's this very small thing at first that, that grows. And finally, the time comes when spiritual birth takes place. And if we continue this illustration, if a baby is born, guys, and a baby doesn't come out crying, it means something is terribly wrong. I remember this with, with our kids. So Lily, my daughter, she's six, six years old, six years old. She came out. Some of you guys are like, you are a terrible, no. Just sleep deprived, okay? But she came out and like literally like just was screaming and singing and doing all this stuff and she's never stopped. And it was just, it's been great, right? My son came out and Titus was born and when he came out, he literally didn't say anything. And I remember I was, I, I was like in shock and I was like, this isn't good. I remember looking at the doctor and saying, he's supposed to be crying, right? And they're like, it's okay. We gotta, you know, we gotta get him to say something. And then finally, like Titus literally just went, meh. Right? <laughs> and that's, if you know him, that's kind of like his personality. But the doctor's like, okay, we're good. Right? But guys, if a, if a baby is born and doesn't make a noise, something is wrong. The same is true spiritually, that when a person is truly born again by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, there naturally comes words with that that verbalize what has happened. And this is what we see of Paul here. He's born again. He's spiritually born and immediately he begins to cry, meaning he starts speaking of the greatness and the goodness and the grace of the gospel in his life and not just in his Bible study and in his life and his prayer time, but he's going out to the world around him and immediately starts to proclaim the goodness and the grace of Jesus that he's experienced. And so Christian, I'll just ask you this, is this you? Like, have you been born again? Are you, are you crying? Are you crying out the gospel to the world around you that desperately needs Jesus just like you? Because this is a question to ask. Are you crying? But if Saul does this, here's what happens. Verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he'd come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him in and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he preached boldly the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke out. He spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Because Saul the persecutor has become Saul the preacher. And the religious leaders of the time, of which Saul used to be, they now set their gaze on him. And Saul, who was once the hunter, becomes the hunted. And for the rest of his life, until Saul is eventually beheaded for his faith in Jesus, he's on the run 
from men who were trying to kill him for his faith in Jesus and for telling people the love of God and the gospel of grace. Guys, this is Saul's testimony. Now, as I mentioned, his testimony highlights the beauty and the power of God's amazing grace. And I want to end with drawing your attention to two specific things about the grace of God. And the first is this. Through Saul's testimony, guys, we see the scope of God's grace. All right, the scope of God's grace. All right, Saul's testimony shows us the beautiful truth. Hear this, that no one is too far gone from the saving grace of God. And I want you to know, guys, that I really believe that Saul relates to every single one of us here today. Some of you here, you can see yourself so easily in Saul. Now, maybe you're not a murderer or anything like that, but you see your sin, and it's so prevalent. Some of you, you, everyone around you can see your sin, and you're like, I am Saul. I get it, right? And you, you just see it. Like, you, you're, you're addicted to things. You've done terrible things. You, you've, you've had repercussions in your life. It's visible. And as you see your sin and your brokenness, some of you maybe are seeing this for the first time. Let me just encourage you to do this. Guys, let Saul's testimony be a great comfort to you today. Knowing that no one is too far gone from the love of God and his saving grace. And I know that some of you, you have such broken stories. You have such broken lives. Some of you are so rooted in sin that you don't even know if you'll ever get out. I just want you to know that this is emphatically true. You're not too far gone. And I, guys, I stand here as a living proof of this. None of you in here know who I used to be, and I can assure you, you don't wanna know who I used to be an addict, a womanizer, just a sinful, broken man that took advantage of people, did my own thing, just a broken, pathetic excuse for a man. And God broke in and by his amazing grace flipped the script of my life. And I seriously can stand here and say, if God can save me, he can save you. Now here's the thing, guys. Others of you, you, you might look at your life and, and you don't see yourself like that. You don't see yourself as that bad. You look at your life and you think, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm definitely not what you just said. And you think like, man, I just, I come to church and I pray occasionally and I, I drop a check in the basket every now and again. And, and you're tempted to think that, yes, that makes sense. Saul, Rob, the really jacked up people, they need Jesus. But I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of just over here and I'm all right right now. Because here's what I'll tell you. You're making the same mistake as Saul did. That just like Saul, you're walking in darkness. Some of you have been walking and navigating through life spiritually blind and you do not know how much you need a savior. You don't know how much you need the grace of God. But God has slowly been opening your eyes and guys, the fact that you're here today, the fact that you're here every single week, it's not a coincidence that keeps bringing you back. It's a person and his name is Jesus. And every time he brings you here, he's gradually opening your eyes more and more to see his grace, to let you know how much you need a savior because he wants to bring you out of darkness and bring you into the light where he can save you from your sin. Guys, the truth is, is the light of Jesus has appeared to you through his word this morning. And as you're seeing this, even though you might not have thought much about it, you're, you're starting to see, you should be starting to see that you desperately need a savior because every single one of us are completely impacted and infected and infected with sin. Every single one of us, guys. 
And sin is just anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And the nature of sin is that sin separates us from God. It separates us from each other. And every single person alive has a sin issue. I will tell you, Rob Warren has a sin issue. I have sin in my past, I have sin in my present, and I have sin in my future that I have not got to yet. But I assure you I will. And if this sin issue in every single one of our lives does not get mediated and forgiven and the grace of Jesus doesn't cover that, Guys, this is where we get into the the lifelong eternal separation from God, which is the terrible conscious reality of hell. But God. But God made a way. And the man Jesus enters into the human story. And there's good news for every single one of you guys today. There's good news for me. Here's the amazing grace of God for you this morning. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us, for you in this way, that while you were still sinning, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. God, here's the point. Saul understood many things in life. He accomplished a lot. He was an intellect, like one of the most prolific men who have ever lived. But he was missing Jesus. Some of you are like that. But just like Saul, God is appearing to you as light through his word to show you his grace so he can shower you with his grace. That you need a savior. And I want you to know that the grace of God is waiting for you today. Every one of us needs Jesus and no one is too far gone. The last thing we learn through Saul's testimony about the amazing grace of God is this, as we see the means of God's grace. All right, because here's the question, okay? So like the resurrection happened. It's, it's validated by secular history. Like the grace of God is present, but how do we take hold of that grace? And, and I'll tell you this, guys, the grace of God really exists in two primary forms. There's the common grace of God and the saving grace of God. And the common grace of God is really just goodness that you experience in all of your lives. I mean, the fact that we're breathing is the common grace of God. The fact that we have food is the common grace of God. The Psalms talk about laughing and laughter brings about, it's the common grace of God. Any goodness in the world that you experience is the common grace of God. Now, what happens is that some people wrongly understand grace and they see the common grace of God, the fact that you have a good job and you, and you have money, you have a nice house, and you think, okay, I see the common grace of God. Now I'm just gonna add church on top of that and I'm kinda good. That's not it. The saving grace of God is, is different because while everyone enjoys common grace, the only way to take hold of saving grace, which is the forgiveness of sin, which is what every single one of us needs above anything and everything else is by coming to Jesus. And if you look back to verse two, look at back. The people who Saul was persecuting, right? What were they called? People of the way, right? Now I wanna explain this to you because maybe this is like kind of a, a different title. Before Christians were called Christians, in these days they were called people of the way. And this comes from John 14, six, where Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except by me. And as Jesus said this, guys, he's telling us that in our world, in our world today, there are people and there is God. And the only way for people to come to God is through Jesus, that there is one way 
There is one truth. There is one life. Guys, this is Jesus. And, and I just need to tell you this. I, and I, I don't tell you this as kind of just like a, an angry preacher yelling at you and doing, I, I tell you as a dying man speaking to dying men and women. My job is just to simply tell you the truth. You have to decide what to do with it, but Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way. And this statement is really what got him killed. I mean, if Jesus would have just said, I am a way, that wouldn't have been, a, that wouldn't have been an issue. Like Christians are being hunted down and killed because of this statement. This is the fundamental issue, guys. And you guys, we are surrounded in a culture of relativism and pluralism where many people have many different thoughts. There's so many different religions. There's so many different ideologies. There's so many different philosophies that claim to bring salvation and eternal life and claim to have truth. But all of those truths come from the words of men to understand eternal life and salvation and the way we have to listen to the words of God. And because Jesus conquered death and rose from the death, the resurrection shows that he is the one that can give voice to eternal life because he is the author of life. It's Jesus. And so I need to ask you the question, guys, do you believe that Jesus is the way? And as you think about that, just need to know that this is the most important question that you will ever answer because eternity hangs on your response. And some of you, you might be tempted to think like, no, I don't really believe that he's the only way, but I'm religious. Guys, so was Saul. Some of you might be like, I, I don't really believe that per se, but, but I'm spiritual. Guys, so was Saul. Do you believe that he's the way? This is the fundamental issue. He's the only way, and I want you to hear this, he saves by grace alone. It's not by you doing anything. Because Jesus has done it all. It's only Jesus that saves. It's not Jesus plus a good life. It's not Jesus plus doing better and trying harder. It's not Jesus plus church attendance and baptism. It's none of that because Jesus plus anything ruins everything. It's Jesus alone. And the Bible tells us clearly in places like Ephesians 2 that it's only Jesus that can save us from the effects and the destination of our sin. And guys, I, I want to tell you that the reason that Doxa Church exists is to get this message out that God loves and God saves sinners, of which I am the worst of these. And so for those of you who are not Christians, guys, the invitation for you today is this. Come to Jesus. He's made the way. He loves you. And that's the reason you're here today. For those of you who aren't Christians, let me just say this to you guys. If you remember back to Acts chapter 7, as Saul was overseeing the, the murder of Stephen, what was Stephen doing? You remember? He was praying. Right? He prayed. And I really think that he got this from Jesus. Because if you remember Jesus on the cross as he's dying, what is he doing? He's praying. He's like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then we see Stephen as he's being killed. He says, God, Father, forgive them for what they're doing to me. And he prays for his enemies that God would forgive them. And as we look at Saul's testimony here in, in Acts 9, guys, I want you to know that we're seeing the answer to Stephen's prayer. And so if you are a Christian in here, I want to make sure that you don't lose sight of this, guys, that Jesus didn't just show up, but, but this is Stephen's prayer being answered. And so I'll ask you guys is who are the people in your life and in my life 
that we need to be praying for that don't know Jesus. And you might say they're too far gone, right? They're, they're a hot mess, there's no way. Well, I would suggest like Saul's story would suggest otherwise. You might say that, man, their heart is so hard and they don't care about Jesus, either did Saul. Guys, we pray in faith and we pray in hope and we pray knowing that God loves people and that Jesus delights in saving people and we pray for the grace in the lives of those who need Jesus just like we do. And Jesus loves to answer those prayers. So guys, let me just end with this. There's really one application to every single one of us today. One word. Surrender. Surrender. For those of you who don't know Jesus and you're kind of like Saul, surrender. You're stuck in your sin, like you're not seeing Jesus for all that he is, but you're starting to get glimpses. Because I want you to know that turning to Jesus is not so much a decision or a commitment, but it's the surrender to the supreme authority of Jesus and the surrender to his grace. And if you would come to Jesus and surrender your thoughts and surrender your religion and surrender your pride and surrender your sin, surrender everything, Jesus promises to give you everything. He'll save you today and change your entire life if you just surrender. And for those of you who are Christians, I want you to know this is for you too. Surrender. Because Paul, Paul's story, his, his conversion was individual, but it wasn't individualistic. And with his conversion came a commission that all Christians are called to be witnesses. Back to Acts chapter one, where we started this study, that we all have the responsibility and the privilege of representing Jesus on this earth and communicating his message to a world that needs it. And so guys, I'll ask you this, Christian, what is in your life that you need to surrender so you can be the man or the woman that God has created you to be to bring glory to him and good to the world around you? What is it that you need to surrender? What is the sin that is just holding you down? What do you need to lay at the feet of Jesus so that Jesus can use you to advance the gospel in your own life, in your family, in your business, in this city, in this world? It's surrender. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word and God, thanks for this beautiful picture of Saul, this man who is so broken, who seems so far from you, who seems like there would be no chance that he could ever change. But you break in by your amazing grace and you do something profound. You save this man and change the history of the world. So God, thank you for what you did in this guy's life, that we are sitting here as an impact of how you used him to move forward. And so God, I would just ask for those people in this room that, that don't know you, Holy Spirit, would you just show them Jesus? Would the invitation to Jesus just be what Paul said in Philippians 3, just gripping them, and they would step forward and find saving grace for the Christians in this room, God. We all have stuff in our life. We all have sin. We all have brokenness that would keep us from being who you've created us to be. 
So even as we sit here and we get ready to sing this song and to worship you for being so good, for being our savior, for delivering us, help us to see what it is that we need to lay down at your feet. And as we confess our sin and give it all to you, let us just erupt in worship. In Jesus' name.